Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome one, welcome all into Fizz Radio this Saturday morning. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. We are so happy that you decided to spend your Saturday morning, or if you're listening to the podcast on SoundCloud, spending whatever time it is that you're listening to this with us. And Matt, we have a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the rotation and who deserves to be playing for Syracuse men's basketball right now. Not the starting conversation because that's a completely different convo that has happened way too much. Then we'll hand out some midseason awards. Then Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times will come on to preview the Virginia Tech game coming up this Saturday at noon. And of course, we'll get to fictional Fizz and Fizz feedback. So a lot going on here on Fizz Radio. We have you for 60 minutes. So make sure you stay right here on the score 1260 or on SoundCloud. Matt, let's start right off the bat with the rotation and the minutes debate. Who, who should be playing, who should be starting, who should be coming off the bench, who should not be getting as many minutes? Because I think in this Miami game, there were a couple players that deserved and earned a couple more minutes. Yeah, absolutely. The, the big uh, storyline from the Miami game was the gigantic run the Orange went on. That was sparked by a lineup change. You saw Jesse Edwards come in, Kadari Richmond come in, and, and those guys were electric. So I think that coming out of that game, there are a couple things that are clear. Jesse Edwards needs to play more. I mean, the guy's a big body, 6'11", 215. Compared to Marek Dolajai, he's got about 10, 15 pounds on him. That's absolutely huge when it comes to ACC bigs. So Jesse Edwards has got to play more. We've been talking about Barama Sidibe being out for so long. Edwards is the answer. As for Richmond... He needs the minutes as well, but we see him get sloppy very often. He's not a great ball handler. He's not a great scorer, but he is a phenomenal defender. A guy that in the future is going to prove to be a guy that, like Michael Carter-Williams or Tyler Ennis, one of those guys, but as of right now, he's a great X-factor off the bench. I think that Richmond and Edwards need to see a lot more playing time going forward. So are you on the train of Edwards should be... like? Here, let, let me rephrase. Where do you think Edwards should be in coming off the bench? Should he be the sixth man, the seventh man, the eighth? Like, where does he fit into your rotation? And then I'll give you my take, of course. I, I think it depends game by game. I think sometimes okay. you could start him if you want. I, I understand he's not the most talented player in the world, but compared to Dolajai, who starts every game and plays almost 40 minutes a game, we're seeing him get worse and worse each game. Two fouls to start off. He didn't score a single point against the Hurricanes. He had four fouls, only had four rebounds. I think when you start to see Marek struggle a little bit, you throw in Edwards. It doesn't necessarily mean you bench Marek, but just put him up to the power forward slot. Don't make him anchor the zone because that mm-hmm. is the most difficult part of it. Yeah. You have Edwards come in, just relieve him a little bit and let, let Dolajai work on a little bit uh, different part of the floor. Uh, I think Edwards comes in whenever we see the team start to struggle when it comes to the big man. Right. And and I think that's fair. And Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio. Go follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. But I, I, I think that's a fair point, Matt. I, I, I would say it's more of giving Marek a, 
a little breather and allowing him to not rack up 30, 35, 40 minutes a game this early in the season, because obviously you're going to want Marek down the line. And if March Madness happens and if Syracuse actually makes the tournament or in the ACC tournament, you're going to want Marek Dolajai out there because we're not saying anything bad about him. He's still a very important player to this team. But I think if you can have Jesse Edwards pick up a couple of his minutes every single game and get Jesse up to, I don't know, an average of, I think maybe 20 minutes, anywhere from like 18 to 22 minutes would be pretty okay with Jesse Um, and with his talent level. I think that would be a pretty good line to set. And I think that he's probably, depending on the game, like you said, he could be the seventh man off the bench. I think your number six is pretty easy. It's Kadari Richmond. Once Barama Sidibe comes back, it's a complete, uh, completely different conversation. And then, and this is where I kind of want to switch over because I think we've talked about Jesse enough here, Matt, is where does Robert Braswell and Woody Newton fall into this conversation because those two, well, Woody Newton was really the the seventh man, the second off the bench a couple games ago, and now he's fallen by the wayside because he wasn't able to practice during that COVID shutdown. But he's still, I, I mean, we know that he has all the talent. I just don't know where he fits in because we know that Beheim doesn't like to have a very long bench. Well, the Newton situation is pretty confusing. The only information we really got from Coach was that he had to be isolated a lot more than the other players during the lockdown. He didn't play as much, and so Braswell leaped, uh, leapfrogged him in, in the depth chart. So I don't know if we'll see Woody Newton again for the rest of the season. We heard really? Beheim. Well, we heard Beheim say in, in a in a post game this season that he what he stresses to Newton is that he's not here. He's he doesn't. Like you, you have a whole another four years after this, uh, because they get another year of eligibility. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know if we'll see him again. I don't know if he's just going to be in the gym all year. If if Beheim thinks he's ready again, it's a very vague situation. As for Braswell, he's a streaky guy. He can be hot and cold. We've seen him hit some clutch shots. We've also seen him miss open ones. I think Braswell is a guy that you could absolutely rely on. Uh, to be your X-Factor at times, but you can't put him out there too often. We, we talked about how Beheim loved the eight-guy rotation. Yeah, This team is just a little bit different. You have more players to choose from, especially when Barama comes back. You're going to want to you know mix and match when it comes to each team. I mean, what are they going to match up well against against each opponent, and that's who you're going to want to play more minutes. If they don't have the greatest big men in the world, you can run Marek all game. If they do, you're going to want to put Edwards out there. If they, they're poor at defending the three, you're going to want to throw Braswell out there. Now, Matt, I think that you're falling under a little recency bias. And again, this is Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio. Whether you're listening on the Score 1260 or on SoundCloud, you can find all of our content at orangefizz.net or by following us on Twitter at orangefizz. Uh, Matt, I say that because... The whole Jesse Edwards, I think you're kind of blowing him up too much right now. No, believe me. I'll be the first one to tell you he's not the most talented player in the world. I remember that Clemson game where he was shaking in his boots, deer in headlights, whatever. I remember the whole thing. But you can't discount his performance from last night. Obviously, he's not Shaquille O'Neal all of a sudden. But Miami's Nicere Brooks is is a big dude that he went up against, and he, he proved he can play. Not necessarily every time out. Miami's not the strongest team in the world, but... 7.6 7.6 boards? I mean, that's better than a fouling, tired Dolezal out there. Don't you agree? 
I mean, yes, it's better than Dolajai. However, I'm kind of looking to the future. And where I where I was trying to go with this point is I think once Barama comes back, he takes Jesse's minutes and Jesse just gets relegated right back to the bench and you don't see sure, him again. Sure, I can totally see year. that. So, I can totally see that. I think in this is where it comes into you have to think about what Jim Beheim is thinking. And sometimes that's a ridiculous answer, an impossible answer to actually have. However, if I can jump into Beheim's head for a quick second, I think he personally likes to have one reserve at each position, a guard, a forward, and a center. And right now, you have coming off the bench, if you keep the same starting five, and then you want a rotation of eight players, three players off the bench, your guard is Kadari Richmond, your forward is Woody Newton or, or Bobby Braswell, and then your center is Barama Sidibe. It's not Jesse Edwards. So with all that being said, I like Jesse. I'm trying to stay away from recency bias because I found myself kind of falling in love with him a little bit too much because of his performance against Miami. So I'm trying to pull that back, uh, even though that's kind of contradictory to what I said earlier. I'm trying to, and I'm trying just to remember how good Woody Newton was at the beginning of the year, because I think that's also recency bias that we just haven't seen him. And now you are making claims of, oh, he's not that good. And he's just going to get in the gym the entire year. And we'll see. Him I didn't say he wasn't good. I think he's a talented player. Okay. I didn't say he wasn't good. I just don't know if we'll see him again because I don't think Bayheim thinks he's ready to come back. I think he's a very talented player. We saw there's, him play very well. There's a whole other well. half of the season to be played. Absolutely, We're only 12 games sure, in. sure. But but you know how hard it is to climb back into the lineup once you're out of it for Bayheim. I mean, just remember Jalen Carey. He was a talented player. He's playing over at URI now. That doesn't mean he wasn't talented just because he didn't play for Syracuse. I mean, there, there are plenty of talented guys on this bench. Whatever happened to Frank Anselm or, or John B.? But they were never really in the lineup like Woody Newton was. John Bolajak I mean, he was for was two never... games against a non-con. John Bolajak was never actually in it. Woody Newton played for a solid amount of the season. He just did. Like, that's, that's a fact. And then because of the COVID shutdown, he just... Again, he wasn't able to practice, and that's of no fault of his... Him... Of him... And now he's being punished because he couldn't practice. I I don't understand it. And I'm trying just to like, Matt, like think back to actually how impressed you were with him in the first couple games. Like I, I just pulled up his stats. No, I, I, he's a good player. I, I'm not, there's nowhere, okay. nowhere I'm saying he's not a good player. I think he has tremendous promise. I think he's got a lot of potential and he could definitely be seeing many minutes in years future. But as of right now, I just don't know what Beheim wants to do with him. If he doesn't, you know, Beheim loves to say a guy might be in shape, but he's not in basketball shape. And I think that's the that the is a good scenario. line. He loves to use that. <laughs> and I think that's a scenario we're seeing with Newton right now. He might be in shape, but Beheim doesn't see him in basketball shape. I mean, he said it himself that Braswell just hopped over him when it came to the depth chart over quarantine. So sure, it's sure. up to Beheim, of course. But I mean, Newton only played double minutes or double digit minutes in three games this season and one of which was the blowout against Boston College so I don't I don't think Bayheim was as convinced as you think he was okay all right well I would say to to wrap up this conversation before we we hit a quick break right now um is that 
I think in the the short term fix is Jesse Edwards. The long term fix I think is Woody Newton. Um, Kadari Richmond obviously is going to be in that rotation no matter what. And then you toss in Barama Sidibe when he gets back and maybe. Uh, who knows Bobby Braswell pops up for a couple games like it's just gonna find you're gonna have to find those random uh, games from your bench members but again this is Fizz Radio Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte we're gonna step aside after the break we will hand out some mid-season awards who is the team MVP the best defensive player the best offensive player who's the toughest we'll answer all those questions right after the break you're listening to Fizz Radio Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. Matt, we are having a great time. I mean, we just talked about the rotation. Now we're going to hand out some awards. Uh, What else could you ever want here on Fizz Radio? Thanks so much for tuning in. Whether you're on the Score 1260 or on our SoundCloud page, make sure you find find all of our content online at orangefizz.net and by following us on, uh, on Twitter at orange fizz pretty easy so uh all right matt let's start out with some mid-season awards i know we did some preseason. now let's i mean we're halfway through 12 games in 12 games to go unless anything changes um so we're right at the midway mark and let's let's hand out some awards and let's start with the team mvp i'll let you go first and then i'll give you my take after this one's got to be Quincy Garrier. I mean, he just emerged this season as the team's best player in just about every facet of the game. He His hustle is always on display. He's the team's most talented rebounder. He scores under the basket. He Now he scores from outside. He plays great defense. What's not to like about Quincy Garrier? Yeah, I don't think there needs to be too much of a conversation about this one. I'll kind of expand on some of your ideas but I also have Quincy as my team MVP I think any other choice would just be idiotic it would kind of ruin your reputation as a uh, sports radio host if you did not take Quincy Garrier because listen he's playing like a all ACC caliber player like he I expect him to make one of the three all ACC teams I don't expect him to be honorable mention like I honestly expect him to be either first team second team or third team um and he could even be in the conversation for some national awards too if he continues to play like he has but averaging 17 points that's top 10 in the acc 10 rebounds that's second in the conference plus he's really the only guy that you can rely on for syracuse to clean up the boards he just like he's the only real rebounder um especially with barama out Exactly, exactly. And last stat I'll, I'll give you is Garrier's offensive rating for Ken Palm, which sometimes can get a little confusing. Basically, 100 is average as a player. His offensive rating is 134.1, which is 24th wow. in the entire country. That's so crazy. So according to Ken Palm's offensive rating scale, he's the 24th best offensive player in the country now obviously there's a lot of different stats that you can look at but that kind of boils it down he's just efficient that's all you can really say yeah i mean he's he's just been everything for syracuse this season especially on the on the offensive floor just a great player Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave it right there. Let's let's move on to maybe some things that we can disagree on. Uh, and let's get into the best offensive player for Syracuse through 12 games. Who do you have here? I mean, for reasons that you supported as well, it's got to be Quincy Carrier. I mean, he's, okay. he's, he's the most reliable guy. You mentioned he's the 24th best in terms of that statistic. 
Gary A's been the guy this season. He added that offensive or that added that three-point shot to his offense, and that just makes him that much more dangerous as a threat. He can go inside, he can drive, he can just hit guys in the paint. He can do it all, and that's why Quincy Garrier is this team's best offensive player, especially in a season in which everybody else for the Orange has been so, so streaky. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely hear you there. And this is Fizz Radio, Jaron May, and Matt Bonaparte. We're handing out some mid-season awards if you're just now joining us. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. And there's an article out on orangefizz.net that you can go check out. It's quite literally titled Syracuse Basketball's Mid-Season Awards. Super easy to find. Um, listen, every single one of these awards could go to Quincy Garrier. I don't want Absolutely. to kind of cop out and give that answer. So I'm going to try to change up, even though I do think that Quincy is probably your best offensive player for the reasons that you explained. Um, I'll give Buddy Beheim the nod here. If we're taking Garrier out of the conversation, I, th- I think it then is a debate between Alan Griffin and Buddy Beheim. They score the same. Buddy has 16 points per game. Alan Griffin, 15.8. So it's it's negligible. Um, however, the reason why I give it more to Buddy than Alan Griffin is because Griffin has had an issue turning the ball over this year. Three turnovers per game for him, only one for Buddy Beheim on average. So just on pure offensive reliability, I'm going to go Buddy Beheim now. Obviously, his three-point shot has taken a dip this season. I expect the law of averages to to even that out at some point this year. Um, but currently, midway through, I'll take Buddy for my best offensive player. I mean, that's fair if you're going to take Garrier out of the conversation. But yeah. for me, Buddy, he's just not been consistent enough, nor has he just gotten the, the the his shots to fall enough. I mean, he's had three games this season in which he's gone over from behind the arc. He's got a 29% uh, field goal percentage from behind the arc. He, he I don't know. Uh, Buddy has not impressed me this season, but if you are going to take Gary A out of the conversation, like you said, it's been up, up in the air between him and Griffin. Yeah, I mean, you could make a, a, an argument for either player. Um, but I do, I and I, I'll leave it at this, and then we'll move on to best defensive player here on Fizz Radio. What I have seen from Buddy that I do like is he's changed from not only a three-point shooter, which is kind of in part because he's not hitting his three-point shots. He kind of has to be a non-three-point shooter. He's putting the ball on the floor way more often this year, and it's added a different level um, to his game. So I do like that. Uh, But again, Jaron May, Matt Bonaparte, we are handing out midseason awards. Matt, let's move over to the defensive side. Who is your best defensive player of the year at the midway mark? For me, it's the freshman, Kadari Richmond. Uh, he, he's just been too good not to award him with this, while the, the rest of the defense has honestly been pitiful. We saw that half against Pitt in which they gave up 64 points. That was absolutely ridiculous. Richmond has been the guy to stuff the stat sheet. He, he gets assists, rebounds, whatever, but he's also out there blocking shots and stealing the ball. He's always active. He's always looking for a pass to catch from either team, uh, and and that's why he's just got to be the guy. I mean, he, he, he's he been incredible while the rest of the team really hasn't been. 
Right. Yeah, no, I'll agree, and I think that's the only option. Kadari Richmond is my best defensive player as well. Um, and I did some deep diving, and number one, his 6'10 wingspan is the main reason why he's so good at the top of the key. But I, I did some deep diving into some statistics on Ken Palm because I'm kind of a nerd, and it's it's pretty fun to be able to um, have that subscription and, and look at some of these detailed analytics. Um, however... Let me give you the stat as I ramble on. Um, Right now, Kadari Richmond is top 10 in the entire country in steal percentage at 5.5%. So what that means is every defensive possession, so every time the other team has the ball offensively and is trying to score on 5.5% of those possessions, Kadari Richmond is coming up with a steal. Now, to some listeners, that might be 5.5. That's really low. To some listeners, they'll understand how crazy that number is. And to try to put it in perspective, the next closest Syracuse player since the stat was created by Ken Palm way back in, I think it was 2004, was Michael Carter-Williams in 2013. And we obviously know how great of a defender he was. He was only at 4.8, so 0.7 off from Kadari Richmond this year. And I only see Richmond's defensive usage uh, going up and his performance going up. So I think Atari is the easy choice for best defensive player of the year. And Matt, yeah. you also agree. Yeah, and if you want to look at that stat from another angle, his 26 steals this season is tied for 39th in the entire country. And he's a guy who, who averages only half the game. Yeah, So that's, that's pretty impressive point. from the freshman. Yeah, I, I assume, and it, it would take a lot of research, but I assume the people in, above him are probably, you would say, starters, or at least play a handful oh, of I'd minutes. I'd assume so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this obviously is, um, is, is impressive. So, all right, let's move on. Most improved for Syracuse this season. Who do you got? Most improved this season's got to be Quincy Garrier again. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about Garrier singing his praises, but I think he's probably going to win that award within the ACC, so you can't really not give it to him. Uh, within the team. Uh, Gary A last season came off the bench every single game, uh, and he provided a spark when he did. Couldn't really shoot. He banked in a three here and there, played some good defense. We saw flashes of what he could be, and then this season he came out and was that. He's been the defensive presence they've needed under the basket, as well as the offensive presence they needed under the basket, as well as from the three-point arc. He's done it all. Yeah, I, and I won't continue to labor on. Quincy Garrier is is my choice. Um, we've talked about him enough. I think the big difference was he got over that groin injury that we've talked about a couple times here on Fizz Radio. Um, he had a lot of pain last season. He got it fixed in the offseason, and he's back to 100%, and you can see exactly why. Um, all right, last one before we go to break. Actually, let's do two more. Best newcomer, Matt, who do you have? This uh, is freshman go right, or transfers. Got to go right back to Kadari Richmond. Uh, obviously, the other answer is probably Alan Griffin if you want to go that way. But the reason I go with Richmond is just because of the the sheer amount of production we've that we've seen from a freshman. Uh, you know, he's like I said before, he's a stat sheet stuffer. He does every single thing that the team needs him to do. And he's just a young kid doing it in, in limited minutes. So you really got to respect that from Richmond. I think he's got the most potential, and I think he's played the best out of any newcomer this season. Okay, I'll go the other way. I'm going to go Alan Griffin. I think that 
he's had some of the most impactful specific plays of the year and i number one is the block in the buffalo game sure um and i also think that his scoring really filled the gap that Syracuse had with Elijah Hughes going to the draft. They needed someone to step up. Kadari Richmond isn't that type of player as good as he is on the defensive end. He's not the Elijah Hughes of offense. And I think Alan Griffin is not up to Elijah Hughes standards, but he's pretty darn close and has helped them fill that gap. So I'll go um, Alan Griffin there. All right, last one. And I think this is pretty simple, pretty uh, quick, Matt. Toughest on the team so far this year. Jaron, there's a few things certain in life. Death, taxes, and Marek Dolezal drawing offense. Give it to me. I mean, it's got to be Marek. We've seen him do it every single season. He's been at Syracuse. Obviously, the most notable instance of his toughness came against Georgetown. We lost a tooth, stayed on the floor. I mean, you got to love that for Marek. Don't forget his his charge against Zion Williamson yep. as I was well. Bring that one up. Marek is just the man. He's the fan favorite. He's the toughest guy. He's a string bean, but plays like he's Hakeem Olajuwon. You got to love the slender Slovakian. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll leave it right there. I'm also going Marek. I'm looking at a picture right now with him with a chipped tooth and blood all over it, and uh, I honestly feel pretty queasy. So we're going to leave it right there, and we're going to take a quick break right after the break here on Fizz Radio with Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May. We will be speaking with Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times to preview Syracuse and Virginia Tech coming up this Saturday at noon. Don't go anywhere. This is Fizz Radio. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. We just handed out some midseason awards for Syracuse, and now we welcome in Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times to preview the Virginia Tech-Syracuse game coming up this Saturday at noon. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us. Uh, Good to be with you. So, Mark, we just handed out our midseason awards and kind of went through the different hypothetical awards for Syracuse. So let me, let's start the conversation with that for Virginia Tech, because you cover the team, you cover the Hokies. If you had to hand out a midseason team MVP for the Hokies, who would it go to? Well, definitely Kebe Aluma, um, uh, their, their uh, center. Um, uh, Aluma uh, sat out last season after transferring from Wofford, where he first played for Mike Young. And he came with Mike Young to Virginia Tech, sat out last year after transferring. And he's been their leading scorer and rebounder this year, 14.8 points, 7.3 rebounds. Uh, he's, he's, he and uh, Justin Mutz, uh, a graduate transfer from Delaware, who joined the team this year and starts at power forward. The two of them have really made a big difference. Um, Virginia Tech is now able to beat teams not just with three-pointers like last year, but now they have an inside game. They can get the ball inside. Uh, not only to make baskets in, inside, but, you know, Kevin gets fouled and, and can go to the free throw line and make free throws. And, of course, he's also – obviously the two of them have helped uh, Tech now. Uh, they don't – you know, now they're, they're – uh, can, can hang with teams on the boards. Uh, so Kevin has made a, a big difference. He's the team MVP, although it shows you how good the team is and balanced and, and has a true team. Uh, Kevin's only scored – Kevin Luma only scored one basket in, in the uh, game against Wake Forest on Sunday, but the Hokies still won. Yeah. And sticking with Kevin Aluma a little bit, we know he's so talented, and that's in part due to his size. The junior is 6'9", 235. Do you think he'll dominate against Syracuse because they're so inept inside? Um, you know, I was, well, that's, that's going to be one of the keys for him, I guess. You know, can they find a, can they find a soft spot in, in the middle of that zone and get him the ball and, and, uh, and, and hurt Tech inside? But, of course, Tech also has, you know, they can still hurt teams with three-pointers like they did last year. Uh, they've got Jalen Cohn 
uh, one of the best three-point shooters in the conference, and he's, uh, he's their second-leading scorer. Uh, he's been on a tear in ACC play, and he's got 33 pointers, and he's got he's averaging uh, uh, 11.7 points. Uh, so they you know they've got several three pointers, including him, and uh, three point threats, including him. And again, showing just how good the team is. Uh, Jalen Cohn uh, had no points against Wake Forest on Sunday, and they still won the game with their two leading scorers having one basket combined. So that just shows you uh, you know because there's more than you know there's more than the two of them. You know, a guy like Tyrese Radford, their small forward, uh, who's only 6'2", um, uh, but he had 18 points and 12 rebounds in the, in the win, big win over Duke last week, and he had 20 points against Wake Forest on Sunday. So, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot, a, lot of, a, lot of, uh, a lot of players helping the Hokies out this year. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte on Fizz Radio, and now we're joined by Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times, breaking down the Syracuse and Virginia Tech matchup uh, that is happening this Saturday at noon. Now, Mark, Syracuse has struggled this year against some good defensive teams, and according to Ken Palm's stats, Virginia Tech is the 39th best defense in defensive rating. Um, so what can you say about this matchup specifically and how Virginia Tech kind of matches up with Syracuse defensively? Well, yeah, they've played very good defense this year. That's one of their, one of their strong suits there uh, this season. And so that's something, something that Syracuse certainly has to be, be aware of uh, and, and deal with. Um, you know, they held, uh, we held Wake Forest to 60 points. I uh, held Duke to 67 points. Held Notre Dame to 63 points. Um, uh, held uh, uh, held Clemson to uh, 60 points. Uh, yeah. So you know this is a this is a team that's that you know that plays good defense, and um, uh, you know that's something that uh, you know that's that's one of their strong suits this year certainly. Now, it seems like there's kind of been a culture change um, ever since Mike Young took over. Obviously, Buzz Williams, a great coach at Virginia Tech. And then uh, two years ago, Mike Young comes in, and he has to live up to that um, to that kind of stature that Buzz Williams really had. How have you seen Young kind of change this team around in the past two years? Well, you know, when Young took over, obviously, you know, that the team was kind of starting from scratch. He had a very inherited a very depleted roster, had kind of had to rebuild the whole team uh, because not only did Buzz Williams leave, but, uh, you know, they lost all five starters from that team that made the Sweet 16 uh, two years ago, um, including Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who uh, is now playing in the NBA for New Orleans, uh, including their uh, point guard, Justin Robinson. Um, uh, you know, so they um, – uh, you know, they, they lost all five starters, and, and, and they also had other players, obviously, whenever we have a coaching change, you know, players tend, tend to hit, hit the door. Uh, it, it would have been a rebuilding year with all those seniors they had uh, two years ago under Buzz and helping get to the NCAAs. You know, they would have had a, um, uh, a, a rebuilding year anyway, but, but with, the go, with the turnover because of the coaching change, even, even more so, you know, the, uh, all, those, all of Buzz Williams' fall signees uh, in his last year, uh, they all, you know, none of them, none of them stuck around. Uh, they all they all got released and, and signed elsewhere. So it was quite a uh, uh, you know Mike Young you know was was really kind of starting from scratch. And you know the team you know team did okay last year. You know didn't have you know but obviously you know uh, uh, it was a young team and they kind of hit a wall at a certain point in January and then didn't win too much the rest of the season. Now they've got an older team. You know he brought in a, you know Aluma who sat out last year. You know is playing this year, fourth year junior. He brought in much as a grad transfer. Uh, Cordell Pemsel, who hasn't played this month because of bad back, but he brought in him as a grad transfer from Iowa. Um, you know, and of course, all the players that he was using last year, you know, uh, got playing time and are a year older this year. Uh, you know, Jalen Cohen was a fr- playing as a freshman last year. Uh, you know, now he's a senior. 
I'm mean, not he's a sophomore rather. Um, Hunter Couture, who had 13 points off the bench against Wake Forest on Sunday, um, you know he was a freshman last year. Uh, he, he um, um, you know, he's a, he's a sophomore this year. Couture's another guy that you know, just like Aluma and, and uh, Mutz, you weren't sure. You know, Aluma having been at Wofford, Mutz having been at Delaware, how will they make the jump from mid-major schools to the ACC? And obviously, they've done very well. Couture, Couture committed to Wofford back when Mike Young was the coach there. And then when mm-hmm. Mike Young got the Tech job, Couture flipped and came to Tech with him. And so he played for a Tech last year as a freshman. But, you know, again, that's a guy that was supposed to be playing for Wofford. And, you know, so you weren't sure how he was going to do, you know, at Tech. And, of course, you know, he, he had played very well last year for him off the bench and is doing so again this year off the bench. So you've got all these guys with experience under their belt now. And, um, you know, that's really, that's really helping Tech. Uh, and you've you got to figure that, you know um, – they're probably not going to hit a wall this year uh, because of that experience. And they, you know, you, you expect them to be just as good uh, this year in uh, uh, late January and in February as they, uh, you know, as they were in uh, November and December and in mid January, as opposed to last year. Right. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron may here with Mark Berman of the Roanoke times, Mark preseason, the Hokies weren't expected to be this good. Their preseason championship odds were plus 30,000. Do you, did you expect these guys to come out and shock the nation? I mean, you know, they were picked 11th in the ACC's preseason poll. And, uh, you know, they were kind of – to me, it was, you know, um, you know they, were, they were kind of one of those grab bag teams where you could put pretty much about, you know, half a dozen teams in a, in a, in a hat. And, you know, any one of them could pick could, – could go anywhere from 6th to 11th, I thought. I did not think they – you know, so I thought they could be higher than 11th, certainly. Um, you know, I, I, I could see him, you know, getting picked. You know, I could see him finishing higher than 11th, maybe. You know, I did not see him contending for the ACC title, though. But the whole key with them going into the season was, you know, just how good can those transfers be? And it turns out Aluma has, has been dynamite. Uh, much has been, uh, you know, been good enough to start for him and, and help him out as at power forward. Um, you know, and the amazing thing is um, the transfer that you thought was going to be the most impactful, uh, Carter Jada, who uh, averaged about 13 points for Kansas State last year. You know, he's the guy that came in with, with major conference experience. You figured he would be the transfer that would help him the most. Uh, he hasn't played since December. He only played four games this year. He opted out because uh, of COVID issues, you know, kind of partly didn't, didn't like to take all those COVID tests and was worried about COVID. And so, you know, the transfer that you thought would be the, the biggest help to them, to the to them has, has not has not been playing for him uh, lately. Mm-hmm. Only played four games, and again, Pemsel, uh, who also came in as a major college, uh, uh, major college experience as a grad transfer from Iowa. Uh, you know, he's been coming off the bench for him. Uh, said doesn't play this month uh, because of a bad back. So um, you know, yeah, they're they're doing much better than expected. Uh, you know, and then, of course, in, in a balanced ACC where there's no super team, you know, they've got three quality wins. I mean, they beat Villanova. I was there at the Mohegan Sun in, in Connecticut. Uh, in, in Thanksgiving week to see them beat num- beat Villanova, and then they beat Clemson, and they just beat Duke. Now, of course, who knows how great wins are going to be against Clemson and Duke. They are not playing too well lately, but still they've got, you know, th- wins over three teams that were ranked at the time they played them. So, uh, you, know, they've, they, you know, they've got, you know, uh, arguably perhaps the best resume of anybody in the ACC uh, this season. Right. Uh, Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times joins us here on Fizz Radio. That's going to do it. After the break, we'll talk some fictional Fizz and Fizz feedback. Don't go anywhere. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. 
Wrapping up shop here on Fizz Radio, Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte bringing you down the home stretch. A special thank you to Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times for previewing the Virginia Tech-Syracuse game coming up in just a couple hours if you're listening on the Score 1260 or maybe in a couple days if you're listening to the podcast version on our SoundCloud. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz and read all of our content online, orangefizz.net. Uh, Matt, before we wrap this show up, we got two more things to do and it's our favorite two segments of each show fictional fizz and fizz feedback and let's start with fictional fizz it's where we create random betting lines and the other person has to tell um has to take either over or under uh matt i will start with the syracuse team total against virginia tech over under 72.5 points um for the orange Oof. Uh, I'm going to have to take the over with okay. that one. I think the Orange will score above 72.5 points. They've averaged just about 80 this season, so I'll have to be the over on that. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll also take the over, I think, slightly. Virginia Tech's a very good defensive team. Um, they usually hold opponents right now. It's their, their points against are 65. So if you're around that number and you basically split Syracuse averaging 80 and Virginia Tech allowing 65, you're right around that 72 and a half line. Um but I do think that Syracuse found something in that Miami game offensively that'll help them moving forward to Virginia Tech. All right, let's move on here on Fictional Fizz. Jaron May and Matt Bonaparte. Quincy Garrier rebounds. Total rebounds both offensively and defensively for Quincy Garrier against Virginia Tech this Saturday over under 9.5, Matt. Oh, that's a tough line, Jaron, because uh, he averages 9.6. There you go. That's a good line. Uh, I'm going to say that I think it's dependent on whether or not the team wins. Because I think if they win, it'll be because Garrier was active on the boards. I think well, do you they think lose, they're going to win is the question. Well, that's you know that's what I'm alluding to. <laughs> um, I think he's going to go under. I think this is going to be a hard game for Syracuse to win. Again, of course, a ranked opponent, Virginia Tech, 15th in the nation. I think Garrier will have under 9.5 rebounds. Okay. Well, looking at Garrier's numbers, 8 against Miami, he had 13 against Pittsburgh, 11 UNC, 9 Georgetown, um, and really he's only gone under that mark of 9.5, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 times this season out of 12 games, so I guess half of them. Um, I'll take the over. I want to be optimistic. We've talked about Quincy Garrier a ton on this show and how great he is. I'll take the over. Um, all right, you, last one here on Fictional Fizz. Virginia Tech's offensive rebounds. We know Syracuse's rebounding opportunities are not great, and they allow a lot of offensive rebounds. 13.5 is the line. Is Virginia Tech having more or less than 13.5 offensive boards against Syracuse? Syracuse, a brutally terrible <laughs> rebounding team this season. I'm going to have to say that they will give up more than that. I think Virginia Tech will be somewhere in 18-plus. I think they're going to destroy the orange on the boards. 18-plus. That's kind of Listen, crazy. Listen, with, with Syracuse basketball, you get the good with the bad, okay? You get a bad pit loss. It's followed by a good win. That's think, a good point. You know, you got to be ready for something that's not so great in the future. I'm not saying they'll lose. I'm not saying they'll lose. I'm just saying that you got to be ready for it. All right, so 
third you say 18 plus they've only I, I'm had saying, i'm saying i would not be surprised if it was 18 plus okay well they've only had more than 18 uh three times actually twice this season so i'm not doing that i'm actually going to take the under i think it'll be pretty close i think it'll be 13 like 12 or 13 so give me the under there all right, well, that's going to do it for Fictional Fizz. If you have any takes, make sure you go follow us and tweet at us at Orange Fizz on Twitter. Um, and that's where we go now for Fizz Feedback as we wrap up this show. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May um, on the score 1260 or on our SoundCloud page by searching Orange Fizz. Uh, Matt, here we go. Fizz Feedback. It's the polls that we put out on our Twitter page, Orange Fizz. First one. Who is Syracuse's MVP midway through this season? The options, Marek Dolajai, Buddy Behan, Quincy Garrier, Alan Griffin. Who do you got and go? We've already talked about this, of course, but, yeah. I mean, it's got to be a joke. Everybody <laughs> should have said Quincy Garrier. Well, here's the thing. 88% of our voters at the time that we're recording this, because we do record it early, said that it's Quincy Garrier. But if you do your math correctly, that means that 12% of the Fizz followers think that Quincy Garrier is not the team MVP. And that's I'm where willing, I find issue with. I'm willing to write those off as misclicks. Misclicks. Really? Misclicks. Maybe they maybe bots. Do you think do you think any no, robots they just, are, they just are following us? They just missed the button. Us? They were like, "Oh, I missed the button. I wish I said Garrier." Okay, well we do have one quote retweet and it's the Quincy Garrier stan account, so that obviously means that he's a big uh, Candyman fan uh, and he said this should be a runaway. Obviously it is with 88% going to Garrier. All right, let's move on to our next Fizz feedback. Where is your confidence level on Joe Girard after his performance against Miami um, on a scale from 1 to 10? 10 obviously being the most confident in him. It's 10 to 9, 8 to 6, 5 to 3, 2 to 1. Those are your options. Matt, what do you got? Well, this is entirely dependent on how they use him going forward. We learned against Miami that he's great off the ball. He's not great when he's handling the ball and the the primary source of offense, but when he can run around and get an open shot and just take it, he he proved to be pretty darn good. Now, it was just one game. We don't know if we're going to see that from Joe Girard every night out. That's why I say 5-3, to because I'm probably more towards the 5 than the 3, but I'm, I'm hesitant to say that Joe Girard is going to be good going forward. I think that he has the potential to do so, however. Yeah, I think Syracuse found something, and I was really impressed with what they did with Kadari coming in in that Miami game and Richmond playing the point and Joe sliding over to the two. I think that was the key to him having success and not having to bring the ball up and coming off of screens and such. So I really liked what they did with Gerard against Miami. I think they can replicate that against Virginia Tech coming up this Saturday. So I'm pretty high on Joe Girard. I've always been a little higher on him than some of our Fizz listeners and our Fizz uh, fans on Twitter. So I said eight to six range because I think I'm in like that six, 6.5. And that came in second. Your five to three range came in first. All right. We just have a couple seconds or about a minute left here on Fizz Radio before we have to go. So the last Fizz feedback, what will be the outcome of Saturday's game versus Virginia Tech? Does Syracuse win by six or more, win by five or less, or does Virginia Tech win by six or more or five or less? Matt, what's your option? Okay, now here's the part where I say whether or not they win. Uh, I, I've got it. I've got it. Uh, I think Virginia Tech takes this one by around ten points. So really? I'm saying VT. Yeah, I think VT wins by six or more. I think Syracuse is going to put up a fight, and I think it's going to be a close game throughout. But I think that the Hokies will end up outlasting the Orange. 
Now, I do think that Virginia Tech is the better team. However, Syracuse has some momentum. They like to play Virginia Tech close. You, both games last year were exciting. That's when Buddy Bayheim had that uh, explosion where he had, I don't know, like 15 points in a row or, or, in a row or something like that down um, at Castle Coliseum. So I think Syracuse keeps it close. I do not think they get the win, so I am with you on that, but I do not think that it is by 10. I think it's a close game, maybe a four-point game, so I will say Virginia Tech wins by five or less. However, that is the one that, win, that has the least amount of votes. Right now, Virginia Tech wins by six or more has 42% of the vote. All right, that's going to do it for this uh, this edition of Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz and check out all of our content online, orangefizz.net. But for Matt Bonaparte, I'm Jaron May signing off. Enjoy the game this Saturday, and we'll talk to you next time.